0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: And I had the wherewithal that I could give the winner of this race a million dollars. It wasn't how fast you got to the end of the race. You'd get the million dollars if you just finished the race. And if I asked you to do that, would you sign up? Those people probably would. If I just got to finish the race, a million bucks, no problem. So we all got in the van and we headed down to Waikiki and we're there behind Duke's statue. We're facing out and I'm saying, okay, way out there, you're going to see, at least in your mind, Los Angeles. When the gun goes off, you guys swim to Los Angeles. And he who finishes the race in Los Angeles, gets a million dollars. And they start hitting out. After three hours, the first guy gives up. Six more hours, one of the gals give up. We're all the way down to the sixth one, and they've been doing this thing now for almost 22 hours. And finally, they just kind of give up. So most religions will tell you, well, you got the closest, so you get the prize of a million dollars. God says, watch this, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. So it's not a million bucks. It's not Los Angeles. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Implicitly, it's heaven, but explicitly, it's going to be Jesus Christ. Now, you see that phrase, the glory of God? Now, that glory of God is this. It's every attribute of God. It's all who God is. It's his entire essence. It's everything about God is all wrapped up in who he is. Therefore, he be glorified. All right, now... That verse that says here, we fall short, technically in the Greek, it doesn't mean so much that we have fallen short of reaching Los Angeles or fallen short of reaching the the glory of the Lord. It's actually the word, we lack that. Now, stay with me. This is key to understanding our righteousness and God's righteousness. The phrase in the Greek is, we lack that. Not, and that's why we say fall short. If you fall short, we lack. I get all that. But the lacking part is even better because it says, I lack his glory. Now, that fits more with scripture because in Revelation it says that if I tell one lie, its I mean, J- James, if I kill, do one lie, I'm gone. I have to be perfect to go to b- break the law. At one point, I'm gone. If I tell one lie in Revelation, I can't make it. The essence is this. In order for me to go to heaven, here it is, here it is. I have to be not just as good as God, I have to be as perfect as God. I have to have all the attributes and all the glory of God. I lack any of His glory. I do not have His full glory. So look at me, folks. As a human being... So whether I reject God, whether I'm a respectable person, or whether I'm out here trying to do the best I can religiously, I lack His glory. I am totally broken here. And the only way I have hope for heaven, because nothing I do, even my best is a dirty rag, I need Him to give me His righteousness. That is the key of this entire passage. That's why when you come here and you hear over and over and over again, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. It's all coming from the very heartbeat of this passage. That's why when you go to other churches and they even leave the impression that there's some amount of personal effort, mental or heart or idea or actual works, they're destroying this passage of Scripture. They're misinterpreting what God has to say because it's all based upon Christ and his glory. Now, it doesn't end there. So how do we get our righteousness? Why it's needed? It's from God, without the law, received by faith alone, only for sinners. Number five, it's based on God's grace. Based on God's grace. That goes back to righteousness comes from God. We don't deserve it. God chooses to give it to us, so it's called grace. So let's look at the verse. Being justified, and the New American says, as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. We'll cover the last and the next point, but let's go on. Being justified as a gift by his grace. Now, if you have a a fancy-schmancy Bible, you might have in the center of that Bible a little note or a number that will tell you to go back to the little phrase that says the gift of God are freely given. And in it, it's going to say it costs nothing. And the reason it says it costs nothing is because this grace to us cost us nothing. We didn't have to do anything to buy it, do anything to get it. It's given to us from the Lord. That's why some of you have a Bible that says it was freely given to us. Because when I get a gift, it's a gift that you paid for, but I didn't pay for it. So to me, that's a free gift. Now, I might, I'm sure I don't deserve it, but I might get it because at Christmas, you're obligated to give me a gift. I gave you one, you give me one. You know how the drill is. If we don't, they're going to invite us again to the party or whatever. With God, he's saying, you wicked sinners, I don't care if you rejected God, whether you tried to be respectable or whether you were religious, you are all without my grace. You have to be perfect. There's nothing you can do. I'm looking at you, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going, watch this, watch this, watch this. I'm going to give you my grace freely. Now remember, the free part, the free part is on our part to receive it. The expensive part is on God's part because he had to give his son. If you all agree with that, say amen. now catch that because we who are believers in Christ and we teach faith alone in Christ alone we are called people who believe in cheap grace we're referred to as those that have that cheap grace and I'm going to tell you yeah it is so cheap it's free to us but to God that grace that was given to me freely cost God the death of his only son who was already perfect who had no need to die other than to glorify the Father through us coming into God's family through His blood on the cross for us. So it cost God everything. So I don't believe in cheap grace. I receive that grace freely, but I realize how much it costs. Do you all get that? Now I'm going to qualify that. I've preached passages like this. I've preached God's Word. I've taught it in Bible colleges and seminaries. I still cannot fully fathom and comprehend how much it really did cost God. To give me that grace freely. Maybe there's somebody out there that does. I'm not there yet. But I do know more today than I did last year. All right? So by God's grace. It's free grace. God saves people who do not deserve it. So that moves us now to the next point. So the righteousness we need is from God without the law. Received by faith alone in Christ alone. Only for sinners. Because that's all we are. Based on his grace. Not my goodness. But it's also provided by Christ's death. And this is where I wanted to go with all of this. And this is why we don't believe in cheap grace. It goes on to say being justified as a gift or a free gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Now this is a big passage now, folks. Please just put your thinking caps on because this is the heartbeat of it all. This is like the center of the cheek of the fish, right? Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he kind of passed over the sins previously committed. I'll explain all of that. So to make sense of this passage, I've selected three words. They're the word justified, redemption, and propitiation. Can you say those words out loud with me? Redemption. Excuse me, excuse me. Just justified, redemption, and propitiation. Say that last word, propitiation. Now, when was the last time you said that word? About two seconds ago. That's right. I'm going to get one of you on this, right? We don't use that word, propitiation. So give me a moment, and I'm going to get you there, because I believe that the Word of God so much has been inspired by a, a Heavenly Father to us through the Holy Spirit, through Paul to us today, that all words all fit together in a particular order, because he is opening up this beautiful rosebud so we can see the beautiful flower and smell it in its full aroma. And that's why you see justified redemption and propitiation in that order. Although they're happening pretty much at the same time. I love this order. So let's talk about the word redemption. Notice the little chart I put in your notes. And those of you that are listening without notes. Just listen. I think you can find it. Because I'm going to make a little chart here. We have the word. We have the meaning and the result. So listen up. The word justified. That word actually comes from ancient Greece. It was used in their courtrooms. That basically meant at that time that you were declared Acquitted, you're declared righteous, you're declared in a position as if you never sinned. So you were justified, it means to declare righteous, and it means you're acquitted. So let's just pretend for a moment that you are a a criminal, and you came before me, and I decided to look at you, and what I want to do now is I want to justify you. So I'm up here as the judge, I pound the gavel and I say, you now are declared righteous. You are declared as if you didn't do that particular crime. That means you're acquitted. Now, that's just the first part of this wonderful thing happening because now we have to move to the second part. So being acquitted, you might still stand there because you're afraid you can't get out the door. Well, one thing is true. That's true. You can't go back to jail again, but you can't go out that door until the second thing happens. Now you're redeemed, all happening at the same time. That is a particular word that was used in the days of the Bible and even in our own history of the United States when you would have a slave. In this particular case, the slave is up there and we're parading the slave in front of the buyers that would be there and trying to get the best price and that person then would be bought or sold into slavery. But let's say that uh, you're a slave now and I'm about ready to collect some money from anybody who can give me the most money for you possibly and you're going to be a slave of that person instead of that other person. But all of a sudden, there's someone else in the back that says, no, 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 I, I want that slave. So that particular person comes up, pays the money for this particular slave that would be you and now looks at you and says... Now what? You get a chance to have your freedom. You can go anywhere you want. I bought you and I'm setting you free. It's like buying a bird in a cage. You bring it home, you open the door and you let the bird go. A real jailbird. Anyway, get back to this. Isn't that neat? So you move from being acquitted now to actually set free. Now there's a third word in there and that's the word propitiation. And I love the other two words, but I especially like the word propitiation, even though we don't use it. Propitiation is really where God's wonderful heart is satisfied with the death of his son. So if you will, stay with me. I know I'm running out of time, so please just bear with me. Um, This word, propitiation, has a Greek word, and it also has a Hebrew word for the Old Testament. They are companion words, so the word doesn't really change because it's coming off of a Hebrew word that comes back to if you don't mind me telling you this we talked about it last week they had the tabernacle they had this big box and inside this box happened to be the word of God if you remember that it had gold inside outside poured all over it had a couple of poles here on the top of it was a mercy seat they took that box they moved it in the tabernacle the tabernacle then, then as well as when they got into the new beautiful beautiful temple was a place that had that on the top known as the mercy seat that is where God would meet man in the sinfulness of man, the priest would come in, he, the high priest would come in and at that particular time on top of the mercy seat, blood would be poured all over that and it had to be the right blood from the right animal for the right purpose, for the complete covering, atoning, we might even say a moment, passing of the final judgment away from that sin until later on. Now that is key. If you're drifting now, you're going to miss something that you'll probably not hear in a lot of other places. What was happening then is God said, all right, I'm satisfied with the animal you used. I'm satisfied with the way you did this, the timing you did it, who did it, how it was done. I am now satisfied with that. Now, that doesn't mean yet that that sin was fully paid for. It just means that that act was now sealing the deal for the Lord to pass into the future when it would be done with the only way for salvation. And that is, what I'm going to come over here on this side of the stage, is now the Lord is looking at all the people who did the right thing. And watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. It still wasn't the mere act of the sacrifice that saved the people in the Old Testament. They were doing outwardly what was in their heart. Because in their heart they were saying, I'm doing this because I believe I am a sinner. I do believe there will become a Messiah, the Lamb of God, who will take away the sin of the world. So they are trusting in the future Christ that would come. And so all this was done then as a reminder of what Christ will do in the future. So now... Christ is on the cross, so if there is a mercy seat anywhere today, it's going to be the cross. Are you with me so far? And so there's a little bit more to this story. I've got to say one more thing for those of you that are coming from a Roman Catholic background. When you hear the word purgatory, you hear that word, you might know that the word purgatory is often a place that goes from, you know, from earth, so to speak, you go to the middle ground, and eventually after a while you can go to the upper ground, Okay that would be called a place of purging, where it's finally to be purged. Hebrews says there is a purgatory. Purgatory is mentioned in the Bible. But the place of purging isn't after you die. The place of purging is the cross, all right? Now, that's still not propitiation yet. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died there for a particular reason. Watch this now. God says, In order for me to be satisfied to give you my righteousness, sin still needed to be judged. Chapter 1, chapter 2, and the first part of chapter 3, which we've been for six weeks. Sin had to be judged. In order for that to happen, something had to die. That thing that had to die had to be the right thing. Old Testament was all those correct animals. New Testament, ultimately, there's only one sacrifice, and it would be Jesus Christ. Now, stay with me. It could only be done one time. So when Jesus died on the cross, he died One time. And he did it for all. So the mercy seat, purgatory, all of that is the cross, so to speak, when he died. So propitiation means God's heart is basically breaking for the sins of mankind. You over here want to get saved. He says, you can't do by any good work. I can't give you my righteousness because sin had to be paid for. You pay for it. You're in hell the rest of your eternity. But my son will die for me. So he's watching up there. And so in a sense, I'm going to say this loosely here, but... Jesus died for God, not because God was a sinner, but to satisfy God, because that had to be the perfect sacrifice. So when Jesus died once and for all, he was the right person to do this, because he was God in the flesh that did it. That whole act of satisfying God, that is propitiation. So it's a word we don't use, but without having that done, we have no salvation. So go back to the chart. So to propitiate means for God to turn away his wrath, because now he's satisfied and that means we've been accepted. So we're acquitted, we're set free, and we're accepted. Which now moves us to the final aspect of righteousness. Seven. Righteousness we need is from God without the law, received by faith alone, only for sinners, based on God's grace, provided by Christ's death. And I want to throw in the resurrection because that is a part of that. Verse seven. A demonstration of God's justice. This was to demonstrate His righteousness... In other words, in order for him to give righteousness to us, he had to, again, show his righteousness, which means he had to, he had to follow through with the death and all that that went on the cross according to what he said that he did. I oh, he's a bit a liar. So this is not to impugn his, his integrity. It's to reveal his integrity. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Why? Because Jesus in the future was going to die talking about the sins of the Old Testament time. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at this present time, so that he would be the ju- He would be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Now, that bold print right there, I didn't write that. That's God's mind on paper written for us. That is what he's teaching. He says, so that he, God, would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Remember how I was standing over here? Alright, so what he's saying right here is simply this. I have to be just. Sin has to be paid for. And it has to be done through a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And so he says, in order for me to be just with you in the whole concept of salvation, Christ has to die. So he is just, he is just, he is just in having Jesus Christ die. At the same time, he is the justifier because when Jesus died, he's the one who justified us of all sins. So that's why we say Jesus Christ, the, the deity, the Godhead, did all the work for us so we could have eternal life by placing our faith alone in him. So what's the conclusion of all of this? There's three. First of all, no bragging. So when you leave here today, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, there is absolutely nothing to brag about. When then is the boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? What kind of legalism? Is it of works? No. It's but by the law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith, apart from works of the law. So that means there's nothing of the law, nothing that we could do to have eternal life. It's all by faith. So no bragging. That's why Ephesians two eight and nine says we're saved by faith through great. All of that. So we can't brag about it. There's no difference. Or is God the God of the Jews only? So this is really great news for the Jews. Now they really understand. It was a Jewish Messiah. It was a Jewish word. It was a Jewish Old Testament. It was Jewish laws and all of that. So is it of the Jews only? No. Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes. And I love that because he's of the Jews and of the Gentiles. He's God of all those who are not even saved. So I don't really need to make him Lord of my life. He's already Lord. He's already God. All right. Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith. So the Jews, if they, as a circumcised person, places their faith in Christ, then they're justified. If it's a Gentile and they place their faith in Christ, they have eternal life. So he's already God. I don't need to make him Lord or God. He's already that. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised, that'd be the Gentile, through faith. All right, so again, it's all faith. Last, there's no problem. What do I mean by no problem? Some of you are thinking, well, then I throw out the Old Testament. There's no law. We just live like like hell, so to speak, because we still have eternal life? Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh, no, no, no. Do we then nullify the law through faith? In other words, we cancel out the law since we have faith, we just live any way we want? May it never be. On the contrary, we actually establish the law. So justification by faith upholds the law. It shows us that we're sinners. Yep, I need the law. That's the standard to say, I need a Savior. It shows us our need for Christ. Oh, not only that I am a sinner and I need a Savior, but that Christ is the Savior. The law was fulfilled in Christ. He was perfect. He was the law. He did everything that needed to be done with the law. And the law is fulfilled in us by the power of the Spirit. So in other words, we become more righteous, more holy by the Holy Spirit in the exchange life than anything we do ourselves. Folks, thank you for giving me this little extra time. But I don't want to just give you information for your notebooks and your notes. I want you to see that this really is the marrow of theology. This right here is the heartbeat of the plan of salvation. So when you hear me on Sunday after Sunday or event after event and I go through the plan of salvation, I don't go through all of this technical stuff. I, I wanted to do this for you today because that's where we are in Romans. I'm so glad you were here today because you really got the nuts and bolts of all the pathos and the logos and the ethos of all this truth just all in one little passage. So celebrate your salvation Glorify the Lord. He's given it to you freely by His grace and all you do is receive it by faith alone. You don't have to ask Him for it. You just get it. He gives it to you by just trusting Christ. But for right now, if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, I pray that you would. Remember, it cost God the death of His only Son. Jesus rose again. God the Father was satisfied. He's freely given you grace in His righteousness so He sees His righteousness when he looks at you, if you place your faith in Christ, please place your faith in Christ. Don't put it off for another minute. He is not obligated to give us this message again and again and again. He's not obligated to keep us alive. One more second. Everything we have, the common grace is what we have everywhere we go. The specific grace of salvation is right now being offered to you in this moment. So volitionally, will you trust Christ as your Savior? You don't have to understand all of this stuff. But you can understand that you're a sinner. You're not perfect. No amount of good deeds will get you to heaven. That Jesus died and he rose again and God the Father was happy with that. And he's offering you now that eternal life so that it can be put on your account forever. Would you trust Christ as your Savior, dear friends? Oh, please do this. You read this yourself in God's word. You're seeing it. You make the decision. You can see it. Interpret it yourself. It's not that hard. It's simple. I hope I made it clear to you. The Spirit now is, is ministry. But Is there anyone else today that's ready to say, I need Christ. I see what He's done and I'm, I want that in my life. That truth. I want Him in my life. I don't want just fire insurance and a home in heaven. I, I want to have all of Him right now. I'm trusting in Christ. Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I've done things wrong. But right now, I'm trusted in you. Can you say that? However you want to do it. As long as it's by faith. All right, is there anyone in here today that with every head bowed and every eye closed would like for me to remember them in prayer? Because today was the day that you engaged Jesus Christ as your personal Savior the moment you trusted in Him. And you want me to know that. Would you slip up your hand? Put it up, put it down. Anyone at all. God bless you. Amen. Anyone else? God bless you. Amen. Anyone else? All right, Christians, for you, take a moment and just thank the Lord for the fact that He gave you the the behind-the-scenes. He opened the curtain, kind of like the Wizard of Oz, and He showed you all that was going on, and now you're understanding more why that was going on, what had to happen. Would you celebrate the Lord for Him bringing that to you today? Would you thank the Lord not only for the truth that you were able to get, but all that He did for you on the cross? And we haven't even scratched the surface from justification, redemption, propitiation. Grace, all of that. Just thank Him for that. Would you make a commitment to the Lord that you will own these truths and go deeper in these truths and not compromise these truths? Would you lovingly come alongside others who are so desperately wanting to know how to be right with God forever and help them with that? Come alongside those who already think that they're right with God, but you know that they're not by their very testimony? And to come alongside them and lovingly point them in the right direction and do it with a lot of grace because they believe they're so right. And you know how it is when we believe we're right and someone's telling we're we're wrong. But do that for them. You know that you have power behind your witness with this truth. How many of you would like to have prayer because you're seeing this as a high calling of importance in your life and you're a little new at doing this and so you want God to help you with your personality, your style, where you are, how to do it in a gracious way, but, but you want to do it. And you want the Lord to help you, knowing that he'll come alongside you to guide you now. Would you like to have prayer, Christians? Would you slip up your hand if you'd like to have prayer? Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for what you have revealed to us through your word. And now, Lord, help us be so excited about it that we want to continue to get more. We want to build on this truth next week and be a part of this study next week to see how that all this kind of like a chain, it all links together. Father, bless these dear people and those that indicated by an uplifted hand that they were trusting you as Savior. Help them now to get a good Bible and read it and study it. Help them to worship you. Help them, Father, to share their faith with others that they today got the assurance of their salvation. Oh, Lord, we love you now. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.